Welcome to Bibliophiles, a podcast for lit lovers. In today's episode, we interrupt our regularly scheduled programming to bring you a peek at the 2017 Center for Lit Launch Party, a live webinar hosted just a few days ago by the Center for Lit crew. All the regulars showed up, of course, but this time we also invited parents and teachers from around the world to join us as we unveiled great plans for the coming year. In case you missed it, we've preserved the highlights. Let's listen in. Uh, Thank you guys for being with us today. This is the 2017 launch party sponsored by Center for Lit, at which we plan to give all of the gathered dignitaries, all the gathered readers and teachers and parents, uh, an inside look into what we plan for the upcoming year in terms of uh, online events, in terms of community events, in terms of curriculum products and resources, online academy classes, all the things that we're involved with in the coming year. We want to give you an advanced look and also a chance to give us feedback, uh, ask us questions, and get to know uh, Center for Lit. Good. So it sounds like most everyone can see and hear us, which is great. Uh, As I mentioned, this is our launch party. We want to give you a chance to um, ask questions and learn a little bit about what Center for Lit is about what we're, uh, what we're after in the new year, and maybe even a little bit more about what makes Center for Lit tick and how we got started. So I thought what I'd do uh, before we get into the specifics is give you a little background information on Center for Lit, how long we've been at this, and what it is that we're at, if I can put it in those terms. So just a real quick uh, word of introduction. We began Center for Lit in 2003 when Missy and I, who are homeschool parents, uh, were approached by some neighbors asking if we would give them some coaching on how to teach reading comprehension and literary analysis to their little, the kids in the little homeschool co-op. And in response to that request, Missy developed a method for leading discussions of literature with students. And it's based on a couple of key ideas that we've found really helpful. The first being that children's storybooks are the best places to start learning the techniques of literary analysis because they have all the same elements, children's picture books do, as the great works of literature written for adults, Shakespeare's Hamlet and Twain's Huckleberry Finn and Charles Dickens' Great Expectations. You can find the same pieces of those great works in a book like A Bargain for Francis by Russell Hoban, where none of the words have more than three syllables. So Missy took this idea and developed a list of discussion questions that you can use to get a discussion started with that picture book, A Bargain for Francis by Russell Hoban. But those questions can also be used, the same questions or variations thereof, with all of the books in the curriculum, right on up through Shakespeare's Hamlet and Twain's Huckleberry Finn. And we found that if we can teach teachers how to use these questions in the context of informal discussions with their kids around the kitchen table, the questions grow with the books They grow with the students. The discussions grow with the books and with the students and with the teacher and with the experience that they gain together. So that if you begin in the second grade, by the time they're in the eighth grade and the ninth grade and the 10th grade, they're handling Dostoevsky with no problem. They've been asking the same questions that you need in order to understand Dostoevsky since they were getting put to bed at night with picture books. So this method that Missy developed has really been powerful It's called Teaching the Classics, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit more detail as we go along today. But we began uh, sharing that method with the people in our neighborhood and in our co-op, and pretty soon got to uh, begin delivering it on the convention circuit, the homeschool convention circuit, and spread the word about about, uh, teaching the classics around the country. So Center for Lit sort of grew as a an outworking 
of that connection that we managed to form between parents and teachers with this little tool in their hands, this tool of Socratic discussion, and the kids that they were working with, the other parents and teachers around the country that were adopting this method as well. So that's where we began. But the truth is we've grown a little bit since then. And our vision for not just helping uh, parents and teachers inside the classroom with this one skill of reading comprehension and literary analysis, but offering a broader sense of encouragement and inspiration to parents in their work as homeschoolers has really captivated our imagination in the last few years. And so we've, we've been developing other ways to get parents involved with their kids in, um, in homeschooling generally, and also involved with each other in encouraging each other and inspiring each other for their noble work as teachers. And to that end, we've got a wide range of resources and uh, products to, uh, to offer to interested parents. And so one of the things we wanted to do today is make you aware of as many of those as you're interested in. Um, guys, did I miss anything in terms of the overall uh, thrust and vision that Center for Lit has to offer that you guys want to add? I don't want to do all the talking today, although I will if it's necessary. You know that. <laughs> we won't let you. We have great confidence in you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say. The, um, I guess I'll put it this way. The the person that we are, we feel called to support and encourage and help is the homeschooler in the trenches who is sitting there across the table from a kitchen full of munchkins of one age or another saying, I really believe that you need to be able to handle ideas. I have a need that I see in your life and I want to fill it. And that need is, can I read well? Can I understand the great ideas as they're presented to me in literature? Can I interact with those ideas, take them down into my own heart and soul, handle them with grace and eloquence and power, talk to other people about the great ideas that I come across in art and in literature and in philosophy and in interactions with folks. I want to equip you to do that, but I don't have the faintest idea how, because I didn't have an advanced degree when it was my turn. I don't have a lot of specific training in teaching or in this subject, reading and literature and art and philosophy. I feel at sea. And so this, I've got this problem. My need, the need that I feel for my kids is very acute, but I don't feel like I have the tools necessary to meet it. And we are moved by that situation. We felt like that ourselves. We've been in that situation ourselves and we want to help people that are in that situation with not only tools, but also encouragement. Emily, go ahead. Well, just to jump in for a second, it's not even just that, though, because coming in as someone not originally in Andrews who did get an education in English literature, I have found the tools to be helpful, even knowing supposedly what I was supposed to do. Um, mm. So I know we have some teachers with us who may not necessarily be homeschooling right now. Um, so it works in a classroom setting, too, mm. and... It's, I think, a really helpful method for just organizing thoughts yourself as a teacher. Great. That's a great point. And yeah, the other thing I was going to say is that the, uh, our, our target audience began as the homeschool mom in the trenches, but has broadened in the last few years to include readers of all stripes. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we're going to discuss is our, our Pelican Society uh, membership organization, which is welcome. Not only parents are, and teachers are welcome, but just readers who are interested in understanding more deeply how to get involved in literature 
And some of the techniques that we've developed are uh, useful to you, whether you've got a classroom on your hands or not. That's a good point, Emily. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's true. Anybody who's interested in learning how to think about the books that they're reading, um, how to digest them more fully is going to benefit from learning to approach these books um, uh, through questions, essentially. Once, you've under- once you understand the way that a book is put together, and all books are put together um, in basically the same fundamental way, they've all got characters and those characters find themselves in some sort of setting, in some sort of an initial conflict that takes off and is generated, um, and on, as a result, produces more conflicts until the conflict intensifies and must break at some sort of climactic moment, at which point the author, in placing that climactic moment in a particular way, um, gives us a lot of information about the underlying ideas in the story itself. Mm-hmm. When you start to recognize the structure of story and the kinds of literary devices that authors use um, repeatedly in order to deliver their great ideas, uh, you're in business, yeah. right? And once you see the structure and you're armed with a few basic questions, and they're basic, they're fundamental questions, and of course, those questions branch off into more complicated questions as the stories become more complicated that you're interested in analyzing. But once you get a handle on the questions and you learn to ask the right questions of the things that you're reading, you become a more active reader. Mm -hmm. And the world of literature, it just opens wide up for you. That's the kind of experience we're interested in giving all of our students. And we're interested in having ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, it's. I like the way you put it, Missy. We're not interested in something that's only appropriate for K through twelve, till you can finally finish and be done with school and move on to your real life. No, we're interested in helping people become lifetime readers because reading is not just for school. Right. We go to school so that we can read forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Unless you're you're just here to learn how to teach high school literature, and then you don't want to read anymore. We still want you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's not exclusive. <laughs> Well, one of the things that we do is we asked um, uh, the people that are joining us today for the launch party to submit questions and comments that they'd like us to address in this discussion. And I think the question read, what would you like to see from Center for Lit in the coming year? And we got a wonderful avalanche of responses, which are really excited about. And I've spent some time kind of grouping them together under topic headings. And I, I thought that we'd spend some of the time we have together today addressing those specifically as much as we can. And the first category, oh, by the way, before I get into that, I should say that we're going to have some uh, party festivities as we go along today, right? Emily, can you um, quickly summarize what those are going to be before I dive into the Q&A? Yeah, so we're going to give away three prizes over the course of the webinar. Um, the first one is going to be a brand new edition of Teaching the Classics. The second edition, um, which I think we're going to talk about at some length today. Mm-hmm. The second prize is going to be a set of our ready readers. We have recently redone them. Uh, it was a lot of work, but they're beautiful <laughs> now. <laughs> it was so worth it, though. <laughs> Uh, they have brand new artwork on them by a dear friend of ours, uh, and they're gorgeous. And we'll talk about that too, but we're going to give away a set of those. And the final prize that we're going to give away today, um, you didn't enter into it just by signing into the webinar. This is one that's going to be available to only people who did enter the webinar, and that is going to be uh, an hour of consultation 
um, or just an hour of coffee chats with Adam and Missy Andrews. And if you are interested in entering into that prize, chat us in the chat box. Uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna do a little drawing at the end of the webinar for that prize. So do this if you would, please. If you're interested <laughs> in that drawing for a free uh, one hour consultation with Missy and me about curriculum or homeschooling or general encouragement or just um, the best movie you've ever seen, we can chat about whatever. <laughs> Your favorite book. Go, go ahead and chat the word consult into the chat box, the word consult, and we will put your name on the list and we'll, that'll be our final drawing. <laughs> Anne-Marie says, consult, pretty please enter me. <laughs> you guys are awesome. I think that's great. So anyway, the reason I had Emily mention that is that we're going to have three drawings over the course of our time together. And the first one, as she said, is going to be a, a brand new copy of the second edition of Teaching the Classics, uh, which is on its way from the um, manufacturer now and will begin shipping on or about March 14th. So we're going to go ahead and have that drawing in a, in a minute. But what I thought I'd do first is explain teaching the classics and in particular uh, the second edition, because a lot of the questions that we've gotten have to do with um, what the differences are between the two editions. Mm. We originally published this teaching the classics in 2004 as a teacher training seminar on DVD. And so the idea is that moms and dads and teachers gather around and watch the DVD. And on that DVD, I present our method, the one that Missy developed. I do the presenting, by the way, because Missy is a genius, but doesn't like to be on camera. <laughs> and so actually she is on camera today for probably about the second or third time in her life. So everybody give Missy a round of applause. Congratulations. You have um, stepped out in the front of the room we, and Thank we will you. put you, <laughs> we will put you back in your cubby hole shortly. And you can be I like comfortable anonymity. Again. <laughs> so anyway, I'm on DVD uh, explaining Missy's method to parents and teachers. And it took about, it's about a six hour presentation where we give parents all of the tools they need to lead the kind of Socratic discussion that we're talking about. Show you which questions to ask, how to arrange them, how to take a class around our story chart, which, um, lays out the structural elements of fiction, basically how to pass on this method of literary analysis to kids of any age using any book in the world. So it was very successful between 2004 and last year when it began to occur to us, me in particular, that it looks about 13 years old. <laughs> the video quality was, it was okay 13 years ago. It's not really okay anymore. We obviously had developed the method in those intervening years and had better things to say about it, better techniques for implementing it, ways of explaining it more clearly. There was some supplementary material that we began adding naturally over the course of those years that we wanted to add formally. And so we redid it from the beginning. We got a new set. We got new video cameras. Um, I lost a little weight I'll say, and got back up on the... We almost got a new Mr. A. <laughs> <laughs> I said you changed your body type. <laughs> yeah, my husband recently lost like 50 pounds. Oh, come on now. This is <laughs> this is public. What are we doing? Bragging. <laughs> public is <laughs> Professional <laughs> bragging. Uh, anyway, the, the new edition of Teaching the Classics is, is, is a dramatic improvement. Uh, it's now eight hours long instead of six hours long and the syllabus notebook, which accompanies the presentation, which the idea is that parents take notes in that syllabus while they're watching the DVD. And then the syllabus becomes kind of their teacher manual for teaching the classes that they will then teach on their own. 
Uh, that's gone from 90 pages to 120 pages. So it's beefed up in a lot of areas. A lot of people have been asking what the specific differences are. Uh, and uh, what I'd like to do is direct you to our website. If you can see my screen uh, our, on our website, centerforlit.com, the basic seminar is, uh, is up, or at least it should be. And right at the top of that page, if you click the resources tab and go to catalog, uh, near the top of that page, you'll find a little write-up of teaching the classics. Go ahead and click the learn more button, and it will take you into a detailed explanation of the basic seminar. If you're interested in the differences between the two editions, a button at the top of this page called second edition features will take you to a kind of line by line description of what's new in the second edition. So uh, in case your connection is slow, I can just really quickly summarize. It's eight one hour DVD sessions with two plus hours of additional content over the first edition. We go through our Socratic list, which is our tool for waging class discussion, that, that list of 173 generic questions that can apply to any story. We go through that list line by line and explain each one and how to use it. There's extended discussions of our teaching philosophy and techniques, more tips for teachers on lesson planning, on scope and sequence development. One of the great additions is a live FAQ session where I take the questions that parents have been asking me since 2004 and have a chance to answer them. Uh, the, the questions that we've gotten more than 100 times are all uh, answered with the answers that we've developed over the last 13 years. So that's a really kind of a powerful session of the DVDs. Also, a great thing has happened that I'm maybe more excited about than anybody, but the um, original artwork from the original illustrators of all the children's stories that we use in our uh, seminar have all now come into the public domain. And so... And so we when get to use them. We get to use them. When we, when we do uh, The Tale of Peter Rabbit, you'll see on the DVD Beatrix Potter's original color, watercolor illustrations. And so it's really great. I think the, <laughs> the presentation came off really well. We've reorganized the Socratic list in the syllabus, expanded the discussion notes for each session, uh, revised and updated our bibliography of recommended books for students of all ages. A lot of times parents ask, hey, this is a great method. Which book should I use it on? in order to put a curriculum together. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, the answer to our, that question was always, well, any book you want. The whole idea is that this method will work for anything. To which parents often responded, no, you don't understand. I want you to tell me which books to read, and I want you to tell me right now. We were really <laughs> reticent to do that for a while, because our goal was to equip you to create your own lists, read what you'd like, and to be able to do that with ease, yeah. instead of having to go purchase a bunch of um, you know, supplemental materials right. and say, well, I can't read thus and so because I can't find a, a, a workbook right. on it for my student. Now you can create your own workbooks if that's what you would like to do, if that's what you're inclined to do. Um, we hope what you'll do is with this method, you'll just read with understanding and then lead discussions with your kids. Exactly. Exactly. Of course, finally, there's a, there are links in the new syllabus to all of the resources that we've developed over the years that obviously weren't in the first edition because we hadn't developed them yet. So we have scope and sequence manuals. We've got, as Emily mentioned a minute ago, new editions of our Ready Readers teacher guides, which we'll talk about some more in a minute. Anyway, a lot of, a lot of additional content and the general production quality of the material is greatly improved. However, I do want to say this. The second edition of Teaching the Classics presents the same method for reading and discussing literature that has been helping parents since 2004. 
I've just mentioned the presentation has been updated and improved, but if you have the first edition and are satisfied with it and are learning that method and using that method with the first edition materials, you won't find a brand new method in the second edition. The method is essentially unchanged. The The teaching technique is the same. And so the real honest question or the real honest answer to the question, do I need the second edition is no. If the first edition is meeting your needs, you have what you need. And we don't have a whole lot new to tell you about the best way to discuss literature with your kids. If you'd like to see me wearing a better suit, (laughs) you may consider it. Which brings up another question. Lots of people asked if there is an upgrade program for people who are interested in the new edition. And the answer to that question is yes. Very simply, if you bought Teaching the Classics from us, send us an email, adam at centerforlit.com, saying, I bought Teaching the Classics from you and would like a discount code on the new edition. And we will send you a coupon code for an upgrade discount on the website and you can purchase the new edition. I will. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's right. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. That reminds me of uh, breaking here at this point to um, not only introduce the, the members of the Center for Lit Crew, but also let you know exactly what they're involved in, uh, in the day-to-day operations of the company. That might be a really good thing to do. And I'll start with Ian since he just interrupted me. Ian, tell, tell everybody what you are uh, tasked with on a daily basis at Center for Lit. <laughs> I answer all of your questions. That doesn't mean that you are at the mercy of my still growing ability to answer all your questions because I do reach out for help and get questions answered from mom and dad all the time. (laughs) However, I'm the guy that's going to be answering your email. I'm the guy getting your email. I'm the guy forwarding it to the right person. And I'm the guy answering it at the end of the day. And I love talking to you. So if you want to include along with the question that you really need answered a little, Hey, how you doing? How's your day? We can have that conversation. (laughs) This is called putting people on the right seat on the bus. He is our talking boy. He has always been the talking man in our house. Uh, Ian is also chief Pelican, uh, mm-hmm. chief administrator of the Pelican Society and spreader of Pelican goodwill. So if you belong to the Pelican Society and need help with your membership, he will be helping you out. Yeah. Good. Emily, tell us what you're doing. Um, I'm in charge of look and feel of Center for Lit as it grows in its aesthetics over the years. Uh, I built the new website. So if you have a problem with it, I'm sorry. I'm still working on it. (laughs) It's fine. If you hate it, it's fine. (laughs) Still working on it. I'm currently building a new Pelican Society website. Which um, is going to be beautiful. Mm. I do other things too. Like teach. (laughs) By the way, so Ian. Ian teaches too. Both of them teach. They teach our junior high classes and they do a wonderful job. Good. Emily has been a wonderful addition to Center for Lit. As she mentioned, uh, we owe our new look and feel, especially on the website, uh, to her efforts and her vision. And we're excited to see where she's going to go with the brand new Pelican Society website, which hopefully will be rolling out in the next couple of weeks. Um, and we're really excited to uh, to let you in on that. We'll talk about Pelican Society here in just a minute. Um, Megan, tell us what you're doing. Well, I'm kind of doing a little bit of everything at this point, mostly learning the ropes here at Center for Lit. I just came on this year, so I am new, new to the group, Um, but then again, not new at all because it is a family business, so here I am (laughs) as a member of the family. Um, But I'm mostly teaching the elementary lit and writing classes here at Center for Lit and loving every minute of it. The kids are so wonderful, and I'm learning a lot. 
one of you just commented in the last few days that you love the sound of Miss Andrews's voice when she teaches. Oh, and made so, my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> so the warm, generous tone of the elementary classes are down to Megan. So thank you, thank you. Well done, my dear. Thank Megan you. Megan also does the registrar portion. Oh yes, I am the, the registrar. So I'm I'm in charge of registering for all the online classes, etc. So I'll handle all of your all of your issues if you have trouble with that. Just send me an email. Very good. Very good. And my love, what is it that you do around here? Um, let's see. What do I do? I write. I write curriculum and I teach a bunch of classes. I teach a, a poetry class with Emily and I stand in as the chat box coordinator for Megan's elementary lit class. And then I teach with Adam the high school classes. So that keeps me busy. And, um, you know, I do. Yeah, I take out the trash. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I do a little bit of everything, just oh. like all moms do. I don't know. What do I do? <laughs> whatever comes to mind, whatever is at hand, whatever needs t- to be done, I try to do that. <laughs> if you have general questions for Center for Lit, the email address to use is adam at centerforlit.com. Mm-hmm. But we all see those emails. And so if you have specific uh, questions for one of or more of us, you can always mention, hey, this is for Emily or this is for Megan or this is for Ian. Yes. We're as approachable and uh, common as we can be. So we would love to hear from you. Uh, Anne-Marie chats, Megan, we loved your Narnia ready readers. Thank I thought you. I'd pass that on to you. Thank you, Anne-Marie. That's very kind of you. I appreciate it. If you like Narnia, you should look at her Strong to Gold. Um, she wrote, she wrote a teacher guide for Strong to Gold that mm. is beautiful. It's almost as beautiful as Gary Schmidt's actual story. Mm. Wow. That's, that's high praise right there. It's lovely. But we do, we all write, um, the teacher guides that we've been providing for Pelican society members. And, um, I think they're, they're pretty cool resources. You should check them out. Yeah. And a little, can I talk about the teacher guides for a minute? Sure. Go ahead. I was going to do a drawing, but we can do that in just a second. Well, I, I'm thinking not everybody knows what a teacher guide is because they look like workbooks, but they're not workbooks. They're actually mm. designed for the teacher as opposed to the student. And they're organizing You Sometimes you'll look at it and you'll be like, what are all these numbers and letters on the side? This, what's their numbering system here? And they, the questions that we propose to answer for these individual story titles um, come directly from our Socratic list that you find in the syllabus, um, in the appendices of the syllabus for the basic seminar. Mm. And so what these teacher guys are, are designed to do is not just give you the answers for an individual story, but model the discussion format. Basically, we hope you'll go to school on whatever study guide you, you purchase mm-hmm. and learn not just how to teach this book, but how to use the Socratic list to generate a discussion mm. generally, how to teach, mm-hmm. right? Um, so we reference the Socratic list by number and letter so that you can see this is the question that we chose in order to generate this kind of a conversation for this individual story. Right. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only conversation that this book affords. Oh, no, not at all. You could choose any of the questions from the Socratic list and have a discussion. Right. That just is the one that whoever was writing the teacher guide thought, I think this would be a great discussion and led sure. it that direction. But you can lead it as the teacher. It's just an example kind of to get your thoughts going. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Although I warn you, we don't take kindly to disagreement in this family. <laughs> we will fight you. <laughs> uh, that's great. We delight in that conversation. Uh, let's have a drawing, shall we? Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and give yes. away a copy of our brand new second edition of Teaching the Classics, including the eight DVD set and the 120-page syllabus. Um, they are, as I said, on the way from the 
manufacturer. We don't actually have them in our hands yet. We plan to ship on or around March 14th, but we are going to go ahead and give one away now. Amy, Amy would like to be the one that gets picked because she wants to see my suit. (laughs) And maybe your head. Like in the first video, weren't you in front of a whiteboard? Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. I was. You couldn't really even see. He sort of was the, the invisible man. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shirley says, yes, the whiteboard. <laughs> I remember that. Ah, yes. Let me make sure that everyone can see this. <laughs> We've made some strides since then, yeah, it's I working. Okay. I had right. a hand in, in the um, the set this time, mm-hmm. and I think you'll find it much more pleasant. Right. I had Missy and the girls design the set for me, and it looks much more... <laughs> Amy, Amy says, Hospitable. sometimes we could glimpse a plant in the old one. Every now and then, there was a little bit of greenery. I'm sorry about that. It was overdue. We, it's 18 years overdue. We fixed it. Um, this is a picture of the cover of the syllabus, so we love the look and feel. That's Emily's design, and we're really excited about it. Um, Shirley says, I know that plant. I love it. I love it. Okay, let's go ahead and give away a copy. Uh, Emily, um, we have a random drawing that we have figured out how to do randomly. Would you please perform it and announce the name? (laughs) Okay, so our winner for Teaching the Classics is Deidre Berzer. Deidre Berzer. Very good. Congratulations. Congratulations. That's excellent. Congratulations, Deidre. Let's move on and let's talk about... um, a question that we got probably, I don't know, maybe half of the questions that we uh, received in response to our call for input had to do with our podcast. And they, mm. they said, we want more podcasts. Do you have a podcast? What's, what are you doing in the world of podcasts? And so real quickly, let me just mention that for the last year, we have been doing a biweekly podcast called Bibliophiles, which is uh, on iTunes under Center for Lit or under Bibliophiles. And we spell Bibliophiles with an F. B-I-B-L-I-O-F-I-L-E-S. No, it's not a spelling error. It's a pun. <laughs> Married punsters, one and all. You should hear the ideas from other podcasts. Yeah, we have some pretty good ideas. But let me just talk about Bibliophiles real quickly. It's a podcast for lit lovers where we discuss issues related to books and literature in general. It's not specific to homeschooling. It is specific to literature as an art form. A and great conversation. Yes, exactly. What we want to do is participate in the great conversation about ideas using literature as our jumping off point. And we've been having a ball on Bibliophiles. It's my favorite thing. I love it. So if you <laughs> if you go to centerforlit.com <laughs> and you go to resources podcasts on the go. front page, you will find uh, access to all of our Bibliophiles episodes. Our most recent episode, which just published today, I think is our recent discussion with Brian Wasco of Right at Home about 20th and 21st century literature. And we had a ball talking with Brian. Mm-hmm. We've had a couple of cool guests on our podcast over the course of the last year. We had Gary Schmidt, the author of some of our favorite books, on and had a great time talking with him. Oh, we've had Andrew Pudowa from the Institute for Excellence in Writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had uh, Andrew Kern from Searcy Institute. Sometimes we don't have a guest, just the five of us sit down and kibitz about books and ideas. And sometimes those are our favorite episodes of all. So would you guys agree that Bibliophiles has been fun? Oh, yeah. Yes. It's really fun. I love this comment. I love pondering truth and beauty while I'm <laughs> stuck in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. 
a, ma- uh, a major um, a major piece of feedback from you all has been keep the podcasts coming and we have heard it loud and clear we don't know what we'd do without them ourselves so we absolutely will uh we're hopefully we're thinking of expanding our podcast network into some new directions i don't have anything nailed down at this point but emily do you want to give people hints of what we're thinking about yeah i would love to hear feedback um ever since we started bibliophiles the reason we called it the network is that we have a bunch of other awesome ideas one of which is, are you, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Ask Me Another or um, NPR. What's the Wait, wait, don't tell me. Wait, wait, don't tell me. The game shows. Um, we would love to do that in a literary direction. Only do it with all of your favorite homeschool celebrities. <laughs> so we would love to have Andrew Kern back and have him be besieged by ridiculous literary questions um, in a game show format. So that's one of our ideas. Um, S.T. Smith actually suggested that the women of Center for Lit have their own podcast. So we've thought about that. Those are a couple. We have some others. Um, we're open to ideas, but yeah, we do hope to, to expand our offerings. So uh, Megan has a comment about the podcast that she puts in the chat box and um, it's long, but I think I'll read it. Uh, because may, the the only thing is that I want to get off into the weeds of the kind of conversations that we have on bibliophiles today, because we have a lot of other stuff to cover. But um, let me just let me just summarize Megan's chat. Uh, she says, for someone who wants to become more involved in the great conversation, particularly the bibliophiles portion of it at present, but has somehow managed to age without reading it. Uh, any or very much of Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, Lewis and Tolkien. I know, I know. <laughs> Hemingway, Melville, Cormac McCarthy, Shakespeare, Milton, Dickens, Flannery O'Connor, even the Hunger Games, and the series that shall not be named, <laughs> which is the bibliophile's moniker for Harry Potter, of course. Uh, where would I start to regain this lost literary education in a way that allows me access to at least the balcony of these dialogues, knowing that I won't make it to the stage. <laughs> we think you will. Megan, if you write yeah, like that, you're going to be just fine. I think you're doing great. Can you offer adults a relatively short book list as a starting point of mm. tomes you feel are important, enjoyable, likely to find their way into discussions, knowing that war and peace is probably orchestra-level dialogue? <laughs> you know what? I, how can I just jump in on yeah, this? Yeah, that's, yeah, go ahead. What about um, our Pelican book discussions? That's a good place to jump in mm. because we're, we're basically approaching novels that are um, accessible. You know, you don't have to have a college degree to read them. And then we talk about them together in a group setting. And they're a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not in any way uh, intimidating. At least I don't, I don't think that they're intimidating. It seems like people enjoy them and jump in pretty easily. That's a good way to start. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes having a list can be really daunting and I'd be glad to create you one if that's what you would like, but, um, just going a step at a time, you know, you can get an education with one book. Amy says, I got advice from someone to start with Don Quixote. Oh, kind oh, of intimidating. Don't, no, no, no. Man, don't do that. No. <laughs> we would never say that. <laughs> don't do that. No, no. You want something that actually, when you hold it in your hand, um, you don't get the idea of a door stopper. Don't, don't oh. start with a door stopper. <laughs> Uh, and then Megan ends her comment with something that I just have to read out loud. It is one of the greatest chats ever received. <laughs> My second question, she says, is much more direct. Would you find it possible to have a literary discussion on bibliophiles without ever referencing Lewis, Tolkien, Shakespeare, the big Russians, or the classic American alcoholics? <laughs> I'm I, just curious. I feel challenged. I think let's try. Let's I sit think on our hands one day. The answer might be no, but we no. can try it. I don't think we can. <laughs> I'm going to try. I feel very challenged. <laughs> 
maybe we need to read some new books. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Because you do kind of, in that particular podcast, you get whatever it is that's in our minds right that moment. Right. And, you know, for the War and Peace and the Dostoevsky Dostoevsky podcasts. I was reading the Russians this last year, and so that's what you got. You're welcome. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I'm not always reading the Russians. <laughs> let me just jump in. Thank you guys for your support of Bibliophiles. Thanks for the feedback. We're always interested in new topics to explore, and just wanted to let you know that the podcast life at Center for Lit is is rocking right along. So come and join us. Um, we did get a lot of other questions, however, mm -hmm. about uh, individual lesson planning. In fact, that was probably the second most popular item. Can I have more technical specific materials to use in the classroom? Lesson plans were mentioned. Literature guides were mentioned. Answers to the Socratic questions that you're teaching us how to ask were, were mentioned over and over and over again. In fact, that question has been asked since 2004 in an absolute unbroken stream. People understand the concept of teaching the classics and they say, ah, it's a Socratic method. You're teaching us how to ask the correct questions of these books. Great. Now, where are the answers? I want the answers. I want an answer key because I'm busy. I don't have time to be this great literary goddess. I just need the answers. <laughs> and we have tr been trying to respond to that need over the years with teacher guides that Missy described a few minutes ago. And since we've begun writing them, we've been collecting them into volumes called Ready Readers. And we are going to um, continue doing this. We have a great plan this year for coming out with about 20 new teacher guides. And we're going to be collecting them into Ready Readers volumes as we have been doing in the past. Mm. But as Emily mentioned a minute ago, we're coming out with second editions of our existing volumes that are much more beautiful than the first editions. And I'll just put the, I'll put the uh, uh, images of the new covers up on the screen for you to gaze at. Here's the cover of our children's literature volume. And what this is, is a collection of individual teacher guides for select titles in children's literature. So if you look at the back cover, Brave Irene by William Stieg, Sam Bangs and Moonshine by Eveline Ness, All the Places to Love by Patricia McLaughlin, The Clown of God by Tommy DiPaola, uh, 10 great picture book titles. And what we've done with each one of them, as Missy explained, is gone through our Socratic list, chosen questions from each of the, from the list that apply to each of those stories, and then answered the questions for you so that you can, at a glance, see where a good discussion of that story ought to go. Mm -hmm. So we have a volume of children's books called Ready Readers Children's Lit Volume 1. We also have, and the image is now up on my screen, uh, a new edition of our Elementary Literature Volume 1 which is early chapter books for grades, I don't know, fourth, one through six, Cricket in Times Square, mm. The Trumpet of the Swan by E.B. White, uh, Miracles on Maple Hill by Virginia Storenson, Misty of Chincoteague by Marguerite Henry. So those are the great ones for kids in grades one through six. We've also got a volume coming out, uh, the new edition of it, our middle school literature collection of ready readers, Treasure Island, The Hobbit, The Bronze Bow, Carry On, Mr. Bowditch, and maybe the best one of that group, At the Back of the North Wind by George MacDonald. And by the way, the artwork on these covers is done by uh, a friend of ours, um, jreneeillustration.com is her website, and um, uh, she's just wonderfully talented. We're so excited to be the exclusive purveyor of her painting to the homeschool world. Mm -hmm. 
uh, our high school literature volume is show, showing up on my screen now with an image from C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, which we think is one of the great paintings that we've ever seen. And this also includes teacher guides on the Odyssey, Julius Caesar, The Scarlet Letter, and A Tale of Two Cities. So we're um, involved heavily this year in expanding our collection of the very kinds of lesson plans that it sounds like uh, you all are looking for. Each one of the guides in these volumes of Ready Readers is a step-by-step -step discussion model, and all you've got to do is stand up in front of the class and go down through the questions one by one to get a good discussion going. In addition, however, we also offer all of the teacher guides that we're producing a la carte, one at a time, mm -hmm. to members of our Pelican Society. So if you join the membership society and log into your, uh, to your account, you, you don't have to purchase them in groups of five to ten. You can buy them one at a time for um, a discounted price. Also, there are um, more teacher guides coming out every month, right? That's right. You, uh, you want to talk about that a little yeah, bit? Yeah. Pelican Society members receive a brand new teacher guide every six weeks that's never before been published. So we're constantly producing new ones. And uh, they're available free of charge to um, current Pelican members once every six weeks. So we're excited about that, uh, meeting that need for curriculum materials on a regular basis. Right. Any, um, you guys, do I need to follow up the ready readers comment? Should we go ahead and have another drawing? Cause we're going to give away a set of them, aren't we, Emily? Mm -hmm. The brand new ones, beautiful additions that I would love to have framed. I just, oh, I can't do those right. And now that Northwind one is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Jessica did a great job. Isn't it gorgeous? Okay, so are we drawing for a new set of all four ready readers? Um, yes, let's do. To go to... Hang on one second. Before you do, Emily, a comment from Karen. Do you think each of my children need their own copy of the book we're studying, or would it be just as effective to make their notes for them to make their notes separately? Hmm. A kind of a question related to the use of teacher guides in the classroom or the studying of books generally. What do you think of that? Megan, what do you think of that? You're, the, you're a... Um, teacher of kids at lower levels. Hmm. Do you mean have a copy of the book in question or a copy of the teacher guide? What's, what's the question there? It Mr. looks like a, a copy of the book we're studying. I love to have a copy of the book that I'm studying because I like to write in the margins, which you may or may not think is horrifying. But I, think I think it's horrifying. If you have a pencil, you not a pen, not think it's, horrifying. it's an interactive experience, helps you stay engaged, underlining things you think are important, putting stars in the margin, helps you, um, be an active reader as opposed to a passive reader. You're not just reading for, for the plot, but you're actually looking for those things that you know are going to come up in the discussion later on, looking yeah. for the climactic moment, looking for, oh, this is a good scene that's developing the character a little bit, and that might come up in a discussion. So for that purpose, I probably would um, give a book to each of the kids, but I know that that's more expensive also, and I shared books with my siblings all through. So the notes just sort of compile in the margins at that point. All the kids are making notes, and you're actually learning from your siblings as well as you're studying along. So I don't think you can do that wrong. Mm. That's no. my opinion anyway. What do you think, I, Mrs. A? I think in an ideal world, they'd each have their own. Each of the mm -hmm. kids would have their own book. And it, you're exactly right. It, it does enhance the reading experience and make it more interactive. And not only that, but especially as the kids get a little bit older, um, we're reading books that are, are books that you would reread. We hope right. you'll reread them. You know, you don't read a book um, like, like what we talked about, Dostoevsky's Brothers Karamazov. You don't read that book and say, yeah, well, I read that. And then you move on with your life and you never read it again. Hmm. That book deserves and demands rereading. And every time you go back, if you've made your notes in the margin and that sort of thing, then 
you're not only revisiting what Dostoevsky says, but you're remembering what you thought about it. And sometimes when you read it the second time, you realize that you understand it a little bit differently. That because you bring maturity, both, um, both years um, of experience mm. to bear on your reading of the novel, you bring life content into it that you maybe didn't have the first time. And because we hope by the time you read it again, you've grown as a reader, right? Mm. You can kind of see your development your, your psychological development and your development as a, as a reader. Mm -hmm. And that can be really interesting mm. to revisit. So the book really does become your own mm -hmm. when you mark it up like that. Um, Amy has a great comment. She says, isn't it funny? People have no problem writing in cookbooks, but they can't stand to write in lit books. <laughs> yeah, the only book you don't want to write in is a library book because it's rude. Because it doesn't belong to you. Well, I, I never thought of that before, Amy. That's probably, you're probably right about that. What'd you say, Ian? We've been, we've both written in library books. We there are books shame, in shame. our college library. It's the college. That have it's art, the college have library. Art. Yeah, it's hard. I have to admit that when I was a college student, every now and then I'd pull a book off the shelf when I was doing research, and there'd be notes in it. And half the time I thought, oh, that's a helpful note. And the other half of the time I would get so irritated by what they'd written in the margin that it would actually fuel my research. I'd be like, that's wrong. I'm going to prove that wrong. That is preposterous. <laughs> Wow. Okay, <laughs> let's go ahead and have a drawing and let's give away a complete set of the new Ready Readers volumes one through four, which regardless of the age of your students is going to be helpful to you because as you know, if you've hung around with Center for Lit at all, we always advise working with books below your student's reading level, that Ready Readers Volume 1 full of picture books is a wonderful resource mm -hmm. for starting the year off with high school students. So this set will be, um, will be useful to you right on up through the curriculum, regardless of where you sit now. So Emily, do the honors and let's give away a set. Okay. The Ready Reader set is going to Laura Bettis. So Laura, congratulations. We will be getting in touch with you as well and giving your shipping info and you will have a brand new set of ready readers. Yay. Yay. Congratulations Yay. to Laura Bettis. Wonderful. Thank you for your interest and support of Center for Lit. And we will love to hear how you like your new books. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I want to talk for um, just a minute about the next largest set of questions that we got uh, from you all, uh, what you're interested in and what you want to know more about. And that is the Pelican Society. You've heard us mention it a time or two. We're talking about things that are available in the Pelican Society. But a lot of people said, what is the Pelican Society? And in particular, at least two or three people said, why a pelican? And so what I thought I'd do is give a kind of a 30-second summary of what the Pelican Society is and why we chose to name it that. You might have noticed that the new Center for Lit logo, which we rolled out about a year ago, features a pelican on the nest. And we kind of made the nest look like a book. Kind of cool, don't you We're think? pretty pleased with yeah, that. Yeah, I was pretty pleased. <laughs> um, the pelican was a, was a popular symbol in medieval heraldry uh, because it had a, a religious significance. It was a symbol of um, self-sacrifice. The pelican was thought, according to medieval Christians, to pluck the feathers from her breast until it bled in times of famine and to feed her chicks with her own heart's blood. And because of this legend, the pelican came to symbolize not only sacrificial love in general, but also in the Christian world, the sacrificial love of Christ, who, in essence, uh, shed his own blood for the sake of his people, and then thus performed the office of the pelican. 
We find a literary reference to this symbol in Dante's Inferno, where the poet refers to Christ as our pelican. Uh, not Inferno, actually, I think it's in the Paradiso, but it's in his Divine Comedy. Mm-hmm. So Christ is referred to as our pelican in one of the great works of Western literature. So um, combined with the idea that homeschool parents and teachers generally perform this same sort of office for their own students, especially those who are working in the trenches with their kids on a day when they really have 92 other things to do. And it's beyond their abilities of resources. It's beyond their time uh, resources. It's beyond their ability based on their own education. They're really out beyond what they're comfortable with. And yet on a daily basis, lay down their lives, so to speak, for their children. We think a pelican is a wonderful symbol uh, to associate with those people, with the people that we feel called to serve. So there's a literary reference. There's a homeschool reference. There's a reference to the grace of God in Christ, all things that are really important to us at Center for Lit. So we think the pelican is a wonderful symbol for what we're trying to do. And of course, a great name for our membership society, where we invite people to join and participate in not only discounts on all of our resources, which you receive as a Pelican, not only exclusive access to resources that aren't available elsewhere, a la carte teacher guides, um, live sessions, office hours, the Pelican audiobooks. book club, our f- complete library of audiobooks, which we're creating Quick cards, uh, one at a time, bios. all kinds of classroom resources, which we can talk about in a, in a minute, but mostly a, a membership in a community of like-minded people who are striving for the same sorts of goals and could frankly use encouragement every once in a while. Cause let's face it, it's a hard job. Grace infused encouragement. I yeah. mean, a place where you can actually be yourself and not pretend that you've got it all together mm-hmm. and that you already know everything. I mean, what a delight to get to be real with one another and hold one another's arms up when we get weary. Yeah. That's what we really hope to do in the Pelican Society. And I, like I said before, I think that has two facets to it. One of them is let's talk together. We have a, a place in the Pelican Society called the Pelican Forum, which is just a 24-hour chat room where you can get in with other Pelicans and talk about what's going on. And then the other side is let's put tools in the hands of people that are in this situation so they can be more effective. And we're really excited about the tools that we're adding to the Pelican Society. We think 2017 is going to be a great year for stocking that uh, that stockpile, I guess you'd say. Do you stock a stockpile? You stock it. You do. You stock okay. it. You refresh it. Yeah. You, refresh you build it. it. So we're putting in uh, teacher guides every six weeks. We're putting in audiobooks. Um, we're in the middle of publishing uh, Megan's rendition of um, Peter Pan, J.M. Oh, yeah. Barry's Peter Pan. And so if you haven't been in there yet, you'd love to hear Megan read. She's got a wonderful reading voice and Peter Pan turns out to be a great novel for children. Um, we've all been reading to, to one degree or another. I'm in the middle of Tom Sawyer by Mark Twain. And I put Treasure Island up there at the end of last year. So our audiobook library is growing all the time. Our teacher guide library is growing. As I said, we're also developing quick cards at the rate of a handful every week. Mm-hmm. And these are one page. Uh, in fact, I'll show you a quick card. Mm-hmm. These are one page summaries of the major structural elements of a classic story. On the right-hand side of my screen now is a a uh, quick card included in one of our teacher guides. And it quickly gives the uh, summary of the plot, the setting, the characters, the conflict, the general themes, and some literary devices that are key to a particular story. So you can have at a glance an idea of the shape of the story and where a good discussion of that story ought to go. Literary putting, devices that you should be looking for when you're reading the story so right. that you can point them out to your student, things like that. Yeah. So we're adding a handful of those every week to the Pelican Society. Right now we have something like... Um, what is it, Ian? 80 plus titles? 80 plus quick cards? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
How many are we adding every week? Uh, on the order of three a week. Three a week, okay. Yep. So by the end of the year, it'll be you know, a, a couple hundred quick cards, yeah. So we're really excited about that. Um, all kinds of resources like that are in the Pelican Society, and we're making it as easy as possible to join. If you are shopping on the website and you want to add a Pelican Society membership to your purchase, you can just click the deluxe version of just about any product, and we'll join you. We'll join you to the Pelican Society and give you a discount on your purchase. So, anyway, real excited about the Pelican Society, and would love to uh, have you all investigate and ask us any questions you can think of about the member benefits. Maybe this would be a good time to add that a lot of people, a lot of people said that they wanted to see more Classics Club DVDs uh, from us. We have four right now that were filmed about the same time as Teaching Classics. Hey, hey, hey. Um, they, were, they were okay. We have plans for that. We do, we do. And we're going to make it a little bit more like um, uh, an online video resource, right? Right. We do have plans to do that. We have started on them. Um, it's going to be a little bit longer until we get them uh, all the way to the end, but that is something that we want to add. We're going to start it in the Pelican Society. I know some people said they wanted to see it outside of the Pelican Society. That will probably be a ways down the road. Um, we're probably going to experiment with it in the Pelican Society first, um, and maybe we'll have collections available outside, but that is something that's on the docket. Yes. And that reminds me that a lot of people were asking if the Pelican Society could contain streaming content as well. Can you get a downloadable version of Teaching the Classics or of the Worldview Detective Seminar? Or can we stream stuff uh, rather than having DVDs shipped to us all around the world? And the answer to that question as of a couple of weeks ago is yes, we are going to uh, develop this year uh, a, a method for you to stream your purchases right to your phone or to your tablet. And we're really excited about putting that in place. Um, it's going to be inside the Pelican Society at first, and we haven't exactly worked out all the details, but that's high on our list of priorities for this year. So expect that in 2017. Did I summarize the Pelican Society well enough? Do you guys have anything else to add before we move on? I don't think so. Okay, very good. Then let's talk about the last thing, and then we'll have a... Um, another drawing. The last thing that people were really interested in is our online academy. And there were lots of uh, questions about the online academy, lots of wonderful suggestions about the online academy, and we can't wait to start implementing a lot of those things. Uh, we began the online academy in 2010 for parents who say, look, I love literature and I think it's really important. I don't have time to do it. And plus, I'd like to have my kids sit down at the feet of some experts and get a high-level literary discussion every once in a while. And so we began offering classes for high school students, have extended and expanded our offerings now to go all the way down to the fifth grade. And so we have classes for grade school students, classes for junior high kids, and then we have four high school-level classes, World Lit, American Lit, uh, British Lit, and Understanding Poetry. And the five of us teach all of those classes. Missy and I teach... Um, seven out of the 10 classes that we offer. Uh, we teach all the high school classes and Missy and Emily teach the understanding poetry class. Uh, Missy helps Megan with the elementary lit class. Ian and Emily teach the junior high lit classes. And then all the writing classes, uh, sorry, the high school and junior high writing classes are taught by me. And then Megan teaches the, the uh, elementary writing classes. We mix and match a little bit, but those are the general assignments. And we've had a lot of fun in the last couple of years 
uh, teaching our online classes. We're going to continue offering them. Some people asked when the new registration season starts, and that starts just in a couple of weeks. March the 1st is when the new registration season opens for the coming year, and we'll be offering significant discounts on tuition for people who register early. So watch if you're interested, watch the website um, after March the 1st. But a couple of, of questions have come about the online academy that coincide with changes that we've been planning to make, and I, I'm really excited to get to tell you about them today. In particular, lots of parents have said, I'd love there to be more interaction during our sessions. In particular, kids with kids, they, a lot of parents would love to see the kids be able to chat to each other. And for a long time, we haven't allowed this because... We don't want kids passing notes in our class. It gives us mm-hmm. total control. That's right. We like to have total control. If you've ever been in a class with me, or frankly, if you've been paying attention for the last 45 minutes, you know that I like to have the floor. <laughs> and let's face facts, it's more fun when you have the floor. However, there are some benefits to allowing the kids to chat with each other. And so what we're going to do um, beginning next year at the very latest, and we may experiment with experiment with it before this year is out is opening up the chat box and letting kids chat to each other and carry on the literary conversation amongst themselves while the class is going on. So we want to, we're excited about, about making that available and uh, encouraging a little bit more of a community in the class sessions. Along those lines too, we're going to start adding video like the ones you're looking at now so that the kids can see the teacher. Uh, We haven't done that for a variety of reasons. Because I have resisted it. Up to and including Mrs. A doesn't like it. (laughs) Not that it's, I, I think that there'd be some great stuff about it. I just don't like to have to put my lipstick on. <laughs> yeah. Now, Amy says on the issue of chatting, um, uh, in my, some of my children's other online classes, they've had that happen, kids passing notes. Mm. And the teacher just turns it off as a punishment for a time period, mm-hmm. which seems to make the troublemakers stop. That's a good yes, idea. So we'll definitely idea. be incorporating that rule at least as we go forward. <laughs> But we're excited about adding video to our classes as well. And, um, you know, we don't, Mrs. A, you don't look too bad. I think you'll yeah, be just well, fine thanks. online. You don't look too bad. <laughs> I'll get used to it. <laughs> the third major uh, adjustment that we're going to make for next year is that we are going to adjust our schedule so that the evening classes that we have been offering for the last five years will now be offered in the morning. And this is probably the thing that people have been clamoring for the most. Scheduling issues have made it very difficult to offer a daytime class for the high school levels, but we've worked those scheduling issues out and we'll be offering morning classes beginning in the fall. So um, we're, we're excited about uh, offering everything during the school day, and we hope that'll make it easier for you all to participate. Can't believe the, um, uh, the momentum and excitement that we have for our online academy. It's really, we're having a lot of fun and the, the discussions that we have are, uh, boy, they're just profound every once in a while. And we go back thinking, man, oh, man, what smart kids and what yes. well-read kids. Yes, and absolutely. People are engaging with the themes of the authors like we really are really hoping to uh, encourage. And it's been really a blessing to yeah, us. That's exciting. That's really exciting. The other thing that we offer in our online academy, of course, is a writing component. And um, that has been going really well as uh, also um, both Megan and Ian and Emily are heavily involved in the writing. I'm t- teaching the classes, uh, and then Megan's teaching the elementary class, and then the three of them are, are the tutors and are grading uh, essays line by line as they come through. We've developed a curriculum that we think works really well, doesn't give the kids too much to do all at once, but works through the steps of writing a literary analysis paper one at a time. The assignments build on one another, and they result in three full-length literary analysis papers per year. 
at every level. The junior high kids are doing it and the high school kids in all four classes are doing it. The elementary curriculum is slightly different. Mm -hmm. We focus on sentence level and paragraph level composition, but everything points at literary analysis. So we're teaching kids on paper with grace and eloquence and power to do the kind of thinking that we encourage in our class discussions, structural analysis of the story and thematic interaction with the author. So we're really excited about that. I think it's been going really well. Mm-hmm. Anything I want to, that I need to add about the writing uh, classes? Go uh, ahead, Missy. Not about the writing classes, but about the online classes that yeah. we've added a discussion or conversation board component this year that has been really fun to watch the kids get excited about. Um, yeah. It allows them after the class is over, after they've had their discussion that's formal, to continue the conversation with their student, with the fellow students. And um, they, they make two posts. Um, they're required to make one post a week after their formal discussion, uh, 200 words long, uh, discussing something thematic about the story. It's their choice, whatever they'd like to continue to talk about. It's interest driven. Mm-hmm. And then the second week they're to respond to someone else's post, uh, again, 200 words in length. So, um, it's been fun oh, to watch them continue to think on paper with one another. Yeah. The last question that we received a couple of times about the online academy is, is there any way you could make it cheaper? To which our response is, you bet we can. Uh, We have arranged a system of discounts that, depending on whether you are a Pelican Society member or not, you can can get up to 25% off of next year's tuition um, by investigating the various discounts that we offer on the website. There's an early registration discount. And we've also instituted a full payment upfront discount. And then there are a series of Pelican Society discounts as well. If you're interested, please come and check it out on the website. And as I say, the website will be live for the new year on March the 1st. There was one question in the chat box that I wanted to address, and it had to do with um, interest in close reads. and um, uh, Deep studies? Yes, deep studies. Oh, yeah. yeah, we do we do something we call deep studies. Um, the girls did one together recently on uh, Jane Austen novels. And um, Mr. A and I are talking about doing one on Flannery O'Connor here before too long. Uh, Macbeth was one that Uh Emily did early on. So we'll continue to offer those periodically. And those are available to students, to kids, and to adults if they want to jump in. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Any questions from the gathered dignitaries, from the uh, parents and teachers on the question of either online academy or the Pelican Society? Are you guys, have you guys got what you came for in terms of info on that? Or do you have other, other thoughts, feedback, questions that we haven't heard yet? I'll let the chat box ruminate for a minute. One other question I know we got a couple of times was about a option to do classes a la carte or um, on your own pace. Uh, That's not something that we can introduce for next year yet, but we are in talks about how to make that happen. Yeah. What we'd like to see long-term is for uh, you to be able to go online and construct your own course from a pre-recorded classes up and down the curriculum and uh, be able to study the books you want to study. If Basically from idea. an audio library. I just wanted to be clear that we don't intend to get rid of our live classes. I know a lot of people like to participate live, but we want to have options for both interests. Right. Exactly. Yeah, we're excited about that. That's going to be a great uh, addition once we can get the details worked out. 
Oh, good. Excellent. Um, do we have another drawing? I think we've we got, we I think we've got one. one final drawing before we bring things <laughs> to a close. Remind me, Emily. Okay, so this one is for one hour of Adam and Missy's time. Uh, how you can use it however you want. Um, if you have questions or uh, if you just want to talk about a book or something, uh, it's up to you. Congratulations, Christine Hart. It is yours. Uh, we will be in contact with you about that. Christine, time. Christine Hart wins the drawing. Stuff. Christine, congratulations. We Yay. look forward to speaking with you. Yeah, let's have tea. And as Emily said, <laughs> she'll get in touch with you and we'll have tea. That'd be great. <laughs> By the way, um, we are thinking of offering the... Um, consulting opportunity, generally speaking, in 2017. It's not something Missy and I have ever done formally uh, before. Um, we've had a couple of requests for it in the last few months and have really enjoyed it. So we're thinking of offering that uh, on a broader scale in 2017. Would love to hear from you if you think that's a good idea and if you would be interested. But we certainly would be. Uh, it's right in line with what motivates us to begin with, why we got into this work in the first place, mm -hmm. to be able to sit down and hear from folks and encourage them with our own experience is really a blessing to us. So um, we would love to be able to offer that to people to whom it would be a blessing. Uh, oh, a couple of questions about the online Academy. Hmm. Is it the same books every year or is each level different each year? Good question. We have arranged it, our curriculum so that if you begin with a fifth grader, you can go all the way through high school with center for lit without ever repeating a book. So the fifth and sixth grade class meets together and it's a two year rotation of books the seventh, eighth and ninth graders meet together and they have a three year rotation of books. And then the four high school classes are the same every year. So um, if you moving forward from where you begin, you don't ever have to repeat a book. Another question is, do the high school writing classes follow the same format as the junior high class to clarify, are the literary analysis essays written in the same format or do you teach other styles of essay? Another good question we stick to the same style of essay in our writing classes. And it's essentially the expository or interpretive essay from literature. And we find that focusing on one particular format allows us to continue to feed into the kids, their ability to use the language to say something clearly and support it with evidence and make a compelling case. And we find that the technique they learn from that applies almost organically to just about any other form of written communication. So we found that the most efficient way of using time and resources is to stick to one essay format. So high school kids are writing the same kinds of essays that junior high kids are writing, obviously on different books and sometimes at higher levels because the kinds of questions they're dealing with are more uh, profound. I hope that answers your question, Amy. Elementary is different though, right? Elementary is different, right? Um, what we're doing in elementary is teaching a little bit more basic issues of sen sentences, issues of syntax, issues mm -hmm. of clear paragraphs. But as I said, always focusing in my right on this, Megan, always focusing on literary analysis in the end. Yes. The goal is always to come down to a conversation about the thematic ideas in the book that we're currently writing about. And sometimes we have to wade through more mechanics than others. If they're doing really well this week, then we have a conversation about the ideas of the book. That's always our goal. But oftentimes it's more of a of a mechanics discussion with the elementary kids about the writing. Right. Lisa asks, is the essay writing format similar to what windows to the world teaches? Um, I'm not super familiar with the essay format in windows to the world, but I can tell you what our essay format is. It's essentially what you may have heard as the five paragraph interpretive essay. 
an introduction paragraph ending with a thesis statement, the argument that you're going to make about the meaning and the theme and the underlying idea of this book, several body paragraphs that support that argument in a logical way with correct use of textual evidence, and then a conclusion paragraph that drives home the point. We find that this, you hear it panned a lot. Oh, it's just a five paragraph essay. There's no creativity in that. And to which I always respond, you know, the 14 line sonnet is pretty um, prescribed as well, (laughs) right? It's the same every time you read it, 14 lines. But within that structure, real thought is expressed. Beautiful thought is expressed. And so we think there's a lot more to be gained from learning a form and then having your own personality, your own interpretation, your own intellectual work shine through that form. So a long way to say our format is the five paragraph essay, which you may have seen in other contexts. And we kind of teach it um, from the bottom up. We start with a good sentence, move to a good paragraph, and then demonstrate that really a five paragraph essay is nothing more than a paragraph expanded, right? Right. With a topic sentence becoming the introductory paragraph ending with a thesis statement. And then every paragraph that follows, all the body paragraphs, being like those supporting paragraphs in the initial paragraph that, that we model and expand, right? So um, the paragraph becomes sort of a microcosm of the essay. Mm-hmm. And once kids understand the way that the essay is constructed, it's very easy to say, you know, look, you can take this five-paragraph essay and you can turn it into a five-chapter book. Or a 10-chapter book, you just have more body paragraphs, right? More supports. Yeah. So anyway, it's infinitely expandable. The, the idea, though, the fundamental idea is structure is important when you write. Yeah, exactly. Right? And here's a general structure that we begin with, and we can expand it infinitely. We have an excellent question in the chat box. Good. Go ahead. <laughs> My turn. <laughs> the question reads, I love analyzing books, but some are too precious to me to do that to them, to pick them apart, if you will. Why might that be? Is analysis inherently respectful to the work? Mm. I'd love to hear you talk about that in connection with our papers and the way that they're structured, like, for instance, the way we use supports. And also, um, I know a lot of people probably have heard Andrew Kern talking about killing the puppy we get accused of that sometimes, but we're still friends with him. So how is that? Possible? <laughs> I would like to describe from my own perspective, how analysis is actually an inherently respectful process. Please. We're just answering a question via email yesterday from a thoughtful reader who had emailed us and basically said, um, is there a way for us to move past the analysis stage of a work of literature and on into a teaching phase where we take some kind of a moral or um, a character perspective from one of the characters in the story and teach that to our kids. In other words, is a work of literature also a tool for teaching virtue, teaching moral virtue? Right. Virtually anything that takes up an issue of character can be a tool for teaching moral virtue. I mean, reading the Odyssey is an example of how not to be a husband so sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But I think the main conversation that's important about a work of literature uh, has to do with understanding and humility rather than an evaluative judgment passing perspective on the morals contained in the book. If you will, there's a big difference between moral and theme. Ah, okay. And the way that we talk about it around here at Center for Lit is that when you sit down with a book and like you're saying, they're precious to you, right? These books are precious. The reason for that is that they are the contents of someone else's mind. Mm-hmm. It's a person that you're talking to when you take up a work of literature. Mm. And you wouldn't 
stop a person mid-sentence, or at least often you wouldn't stop a person mid-sentence and change the subject. Right. Right. A dear friend, for example, to sit down and listen until they're done. And so for us, the analysis process, far from dissecting a work of literature and robbing it of its art and nuance, our project is to sit down and listen really thoroughly and carefully and humbly mm. until we can be absolutely sure that we have understood our dear friend, Mark Twain. And at that point, a second stage of analysis can take over. We call it worldview analysis here. And it's generally better done with high school students than with elementary and junior high kids. Mm -hmm. But worldview analysis is where we, we ask a different set of questions having to do with, okay, why would an author have said something this way? Why would this thematic con content come out of someone's mind? And at that point, it, it's important to know we are asking a different kind of questions. We are bringing our own worldview and our own life experience to bear on an understanding of the novel and conversing with the author rather than just listening to him. But the analytical process should come first in our view. So that's why we don't think it's killing the puppy. Mm -hmm. Maybe from my perspective, actually, killing the puppy would be looking for a moral out of a story instead of a theme. Yeah, at this year, I, I happen to be teaching a, an art history class to a bunch of homeschoolers in our neighborhood co-op. And when I flash a picture up on the board and they look at it, um, before we have any conversation about the way that it's put together and the kinds of ideas uh, in the particular movement that the artist was taking part in, um, it, you know, it's just a, it's just a picture and they either like it or they don't on the basis of their personal preferences, right? It's pretty or it's not pretty or oh, that's gross or whatever. But as we start to talk about the ideas behind the artwork and the way those ideas were manifest in the artistic techniques that the artist used to create that work of art, the thing sort of becomes a living expression of an individual's thoughts and intentions in the very same way that literature is. And so really, by having that um, artistic analysis session with the kids, they learn to appreciate what the artist was about, even if they disagree with him. Yeah. You know, and that's what I think um, literary analysis allows. We come humbly to the text and we listen for the author's voice. That is good Christian reading, by the way, considering others is better than yourself, being slow to speak and quick to hear, right? And slow to take offense. We want to... We want to posture that in our reading. And once we've heard the author paying really close, and that requires something of you as a reader. You have to be paying really close attention to his word choice and to his structuring and all of the different little devices he brings to bear on creating this world and telling this story this way. Because, you know, he's creating art here. What is he trying to say with this art? And then once we've heard him, we step away from the piece of art and we begin to you know, engage a bit with what he said and ask him some questions. And since he's not here, asking those questions means going back into the story and saying, what does he mean by thus and so? And looking for answers in the text. There's a lot of scholarship involved in really appreciating a work of literature. And we want to teach our kids to do that so that they can have a full appreciation of what they're reading. Dad said something really excellent, I think, on the IEW podcast just that just came out a couple days ago when asked this question and it was that there are analysts out there who try to do something to a work of literature right they try to bend it out of shape try to use it for their own purposes that is not what we're trying to do at all um what we are trying to do is to have the literature do something to you to receive from the literature instead of do something to the literature mm. i wonder if you want to 
expand on that a little bit. No, that's exactly what I meant. I think you're exactly right. I think um, and the, the, the impulse to find a moral and a, a, a virtue lesson in every book we read is on the one hand, universal and laudable and understandable. On the other hand, it's not a literary impulse. Um, it's not specifically literary. And what we want to focus on at Center for Lit is good reading, which has a lot to do with good listening. And if, if we were to put it into a, into a literary criticism, a, a theory of literary criticism that goes for Center for Lit, we would go to the New Testament, to the epistle of James, where it says, let every man be quick to hear and slow to speak. This is how... Christians should read. This is how all good readers should read. This is how every author wishes his public would read. Quick to hear, slow to speak. While you're while the book is open, I'm talking. Don't talk. And then when you're done, we can have a conversation. But the best kind of reading is where we listen to the author and understand the author and allow his work to work on us. And that's what we're we're hoping for. Uh, at Center for Let, those everything we do when it comes to reading itself and the teaching of reading is aimed at that particular goal. A couple of other great questions in the comment um, box. Uh, is there a specific order in which the high school lit courses should be taken uh, in the online academy? And uh, the answer to that question is not really. They're all aimed at kind of a high school level. Um, I will say, however, that the, the books that are taught in those classes are different in some specific ways. In the world lit class, for example, they're almost always long. Paradise Lost, Dante's Inferno. There's some longer titles in the World Lit class. The American Lit books are somewhat more accessible in general, having been written from the culture of the kids who are reading them by and large. However, the American Lit uh, titles are also a little darker. Much darker. Uh, as a general rule, because of the specific um, outlines of American history. So The mm -hmm. Great Gatsby and The Red Badge of Courage um, don't have quite the sunshine on the meadow that um, some of the other uh, other books do. So really, in terms of reading level and in terms of the kinds of conversations we're having, they're all aimed at the same class. Uh, you might want to look at the titles yourself and see which books um, seem to be the most appropriate for your own student. That being said, I would recommend a chronological study. So, you know, world literature will introduce them, and, and we do address the ancients in the world literature class. Um, and then I think I would move on into the British Lit course and the American Lit course, save that one for last. Mm. And then they, they get to see the development, the chronological development of the conversation itself. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, chronologically, you know, an individual writes sometimes in response to the conversation that he's been reading about and partaking of himself and says, you know, I'm, I'm responding. You can see allusions to other authors' works in his work. Mm -hmm. You can see actions and reactions and things like that. So anybody who's writing today um, kind of joins the stream of authors that are talking about whatever it is he's, he's weighing in on. And it's, um, it's, it's nice to have that chronology behind you as a reader. Yeah, that's something definitely to keep in mind. Guys, we have been with you for an hour and a half. I really appreciate it. There's great attendance. Everyone who showed up at the beginning is still here. I'm <laughs> kind of surprised by that. I thought we'd lose people. I thought I would drive people away over the course <laughs> of this meeting. But I don't want to uh, presume upon your attention any longer. Let me just say that we're really grateful that you came to participate with us in celebrating the launch of our new year 
and uh, in uh, rejoicing with us in all the things we're going to try and accomplish. If you have any questions or or suggestions, there are ways to get in touch with us. As I said, you can always email us, adam at centerforlit.com. We've got forms on the website where you can ask questions and participate. Obviously, there's the Pelican Society, which we encourage you to investigate to get even more plugged in to what Center for Lit is doing. But uh, if, if um, those ways seem logical to you, please take advantage of them. Boy, thank you guys for coming. Um, boy, a couple questions here at the end. How does your program fit in with IEW? IEW, the Institute for Excellence in Writing, offers a uh, formula for putting together a good essay, a variety of types of writing. Uh, we like to think that Center for Lit uh, helps people with the content that they can then use in the IEW form. Uh, the question how to write, IEW addresses very fully. We like to think we come along and answer the question, what to write about? Mm -hmm. And Center for Lit offers this answer to that question, write about ideas that you find in literature. It is where the best that has been thought or said by men have been recorded. It's the best place to go for ideas about what to write about. The second part of her question was uh, when you can graduate from IEW classes to our classes, um, discussion classes at any time, in particular, if you're thinking of the writing classes, um, we do encourage parents to have their children have the basics, the mechanics of writing underway, complete sentences, um, basic grammar, etc., uh, which I know IEW helps with. So if that is under their belt, then they will probably succeed with us. Great. Well, well put, Emily. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming, everyone. We appreciate your attention. It's been great fun. And we will keep you posted as the year goes on uh, with how we're hitting our marks. Until we meet again, happy reading. Hey, happy reading. Happy reading. Bibliophiles is a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. Find new episodes each month on the web at centerforlit.com, where you'll discover dozens of resources to equip and inspire you to participate in the great conversation, including the Pelican Society, a membership program for folks who love the Center for Lit approach to all things literary. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone. <laughs>